Hi, I'm Russell Kane, and welcome to Pack Your Bags with Tui. This episode, I spoke to the awesome Bettany Hughes. You'll definitely know her. She does amazing documentaries, discovering the ancient world, fizzing with passion about the far-flung corners of the globe. She's like a one-woman Wikipedia. You just want to ask her about every ancient culture and every country. And hilariously, she was a bit stressed because she was en route to only Bethany could do this, the Uzbekistan Embassy. Right, it's the Tui Podcast. My name's Russell Kane. I spend my whole life packing my bag, travelling around the world. I've always got a suitcase with me, including today, a wheeled a suitcase in. I was only in Bermondsey last night, but wonderful, historic, rich part of London, vibrant with history. Um, I'm almost channelling my guest today <laughs> because I'm joined by historian, broadcaster, globetrotter, Bethany Hughes. Bethany, how are you? Welcome to Pack Your Bags. I'm very good. Thank you. I love you being here, although I feel a bit contained in this studio. I want to be travelling. I know. Well, I thought we'd try to mimic the claustrophobic environment of travelling. Right. So you could even be in an aeroplane toilet at the moment. We could, with you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> not the first time. Not the first time. <laughs> Whoa, and we're off. The recording today was uh, was moved. So normally I get a message saying, we need to move the recording today. Someone's been booked for something else or they're running late. I've never been heard. There's been a diplomatic incident. <laughs> so Bethany needs to turn up earlier. What's going on? It's good. It's a good incident. Yeah, it's a positive incident. So I'm just having lunch with the Uzbekistan ambassador and the Azerbaijan ambassador, like a double ambassador uh, date to talk about the travelling Fre- there. The Ferrero Rochers are going to be coming out pretty oh, fiercely. Big time. <laughs> but, you know, they do. They actually do. You get these sort of sweet little trays of chocolate. And in Azerbaijan, wherever you go, wherever you are in that country, people come and give you a cup of sweet tea and like a wagon wheel or like a quite sweet old fashioned sort of British really? chocolates. Well, that yes. Azerbaijani snack would be a wagon wheel. Those always come out. So, so why are you meeting with these two ambassadors? Is it for a project you're working on or? Yeah, yeah, it they're is. They're just your mates. They're just, you know. Well, I've I just known like... Dimitri for years. Exactly. <laughs> I like it. I like an ambassador of a, of a Monday lunchtime, whatever it is, Tuesday lunchtime. Um, so, no, because I'm going back there. So, I've spent a lot of time in that region because there's a lot of amazing history there. And there's a particular thing. I'm slightly obsessed with the Amazons, you know, the female warriors. And people have always said, oh, they're fantasy. And I know their fact. And there are a thousand graves in that kind of Central Asia section. Uh, 800 that have been recently excavated of these women, you know, with like their legs kind of bent open. (laughs) I mean, their bones of their legs bent open because of riding horses so much. And their fingers like really warped from firing arrows the whole time. And they've got, I, I know, it's amazing. And they've got loads of weapons and gold. Anyway, so I'm going on the trail of the Amazons. And these two guys are going to um, sort of make sure I'm safe as fantastic. I go. Very, at the moment as well, very much invokes that fantastic film, Woman King. I know it's set in Africa, but it's yes. got that whole idea of female warriorship is yes. into the mainstream. Long may it continue. So, Bethany's here to chat about her travel experiences and has brought her three must-pack items with her. But before we go into that, we need to do a passport check. Have you got your passport with you? Yes. Well, again, slightly under... I don't want to kind of boast or sound like... But I've got two passports and they're actually both in embassies getting other visas in. So I bought you my old passport. Have you got a diplomatic passport? I've got like a, I just travel too much passport. So I always need two because I can get visas in the right place. So look, no, this is an old one. It's had its edge cut off. Do you want to have a look? Yes, I definitely do. Look at that. Who's that person then? You bought, that that young is you. child. Yeah, it is. So tell me about the era when this picture was taken then. So what does it say? 2011? Yeah, it says September 11. Yes. What were you up to then? With- 
Well, I was like being a young mum. I've got two daughters. I was finishing a book on Socrates and writing a book about Istanbul. So I was spending a lot of time in Istanbul. So you can see, I haven't got my glasses on. Armenia. So I can't see it. Oh, is it? Yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of uh, writing that I can't read. It's in scripts. It looks a little bit like Arabic. Yeah, it'll be a lot, a lot of Arabic. There's stuff. a visa for India in there. There's a couple of visas for India in there. Dares. Where's that? Dures? Albania. Albania. I love Albania. I should make it clear, I'm not paid by Albania to say how much I no. love Albania. I love Albania. So as you said, it's interesting, 2011. So I would have gone across from Corfu by ferry to Dures, which is the ancient Roman town of Dyrrhachium, you know, like where everybody went, you know, Julius Caesar and Pompey and all the sort of big players in Rome travelled there and basically kind of fought out the civil war on the roads. There's a road called the Ignatian Way, which basically runs from Dures, from Dyrrhachium, all the way to Istanbul. So it was the Romans spent a lot of time on it. And um, anyway, so I've travelled a lot to Albania. Actually, I'm just now remembering, I took my 11-year-old daughter, who is like ginger... Uh, like completely Celtic and she got heat stroke because we walked around this very hot site. They are so friendly though in Albania. I mean, it, Is it safe to travel? What's it like for tourism? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I've, so I've, I was there a couple of months ago and we went up into the Alps. You know, some of it's kind of, um, I don't know quite how to say this, but you know, some of the roads are interesting. Yeah, it's not overly commercial. <laughs> it's not overly commercial. <laughs> the roads aren't overly commercial. The roads aren't overly commercial. <laughs> But it is beautiful. And you go in there at the Albanian Alps and then there's this kind of, you know, beautiful um, coastline and amazing history and heritage and so culture. So the beaches are nice as well. Though. The beaches are nice as well. Obviously, I'm very, very head girly and I don't go in order to sit on the beach. No. I go to look at no. beautiful ruins. But, I mean, again, we were walking around this incredible Ottoman castle last time I was there. And actually talking about Byron, you know, the, the Lord Byron, the kind of British poet and adventurer and traveller who spent a lot of time in Albania. And he wrote about the hospitality there. And he said, whenever I go, I get given all these sherbets and people look after me. And I was just saying that. And this fantastic old Albanian granny said, woo, kind of came out from her garden, didn't speak a word of English would not let me and my crew leave until she'd given us raki. This is about 9.30 in the morning. They, they're they keen on their raki in Albania. Just to be clear, raki is sort of an ouzo-like it's strong an, drink. It's, it is. Anacidi. Anacidi, delicious once you get a taste for it. Delicious, yeah. even exactly. at 9. Particularly at 9 o'clock. Particularly at 9 o'clock. Pairs well with a cornflake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And she sat us down, you know, and got out her sort of homemade lace cloths and her, her little wow. pile of you know, chocolates and plums and pomegranates from the garden would not let us leave. So there's this incredible sort of spirit of hospitality because through history, so many people have crossed through it. So it's yeah. almost this idea you've got to welcome everyone in. Wow. So, I mean, people are going to be Googling now, holidays, Albania, summer 2024. I hope they are. It, I'd love, it's relatively cheap. You know, honestly, go, go, go. People, you, you will love it there and people love you being there. Well, you passed your passport, that's falling apart, that. You are someone who absolutely loves to travel. Yes. I believe you also have some luggage uh, with us today. Yes, I do. And what is your first must-pack item in your bag? I cannot travel without a notebook because I make... I write about where I go and I always think I'm going to remember it and then I don't. So I always take notes and sort of thoughts. But it's, as you can see, it's a bit skanky. I actually, I've just come back from India and look, there's a lovely, is that a bit of loo paper? No, it's a bit, it's a napkin. It's always best to be equipped in India. I've been several times. Yes. And you never know. You never know. That bookmark serves a great double function. It does. It would cease to be a bookmark if it ever fulfilled its second function. Exactly, exactly. Let's. This is a pristine, this is, this is, the, this is the bookmark ready to inhabit its other form as a bit of loo roll. So yes. 
a notebook to, to write things down. So I've got these piles and piles and piles of them at home. But I love that. I love that process of being in a place, loving it, thinking about it, making a note of it. Can you go somewhere and just land in Goa and sit on the beach? What do you reckon the maximum amount of time you'd be able to do with a stack of fiction next to you on a beach being waited on? 48 hours? Could you manage it? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> There is a division, isn't there? Yeah. See, I'm I'm what I call, I'm, I'm sort of, what would it be? A bipedal traveller. I can do both forms of travelling. Yeah? Yes. I know I'm, bipedal means I've got two legs. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I'm quite happy, stack of books, goer, staring at the ocean, yeah. eating fine food. But I also love poking around temples yes. in Uttar Pradesh or something like that. Yeah. So I find both appealing. Yes. But the majority of the world seems to split into two factions. Yeah, that's those, true. Those who want to go around Tirana with a magnifying glass making notes in a notebook <laughs> and those who are thinking, I wonder what the all-inclusives are like in Albania. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand because, you know, I love a plate of food and I love a book and I love a sunset. So I know I'll enjoy all of those things. But you're right. I am a little bit twitchy. I probably, when you were saying 48 hours, I was thinking probably 48 minutes I'd manage mm. and then I'd pop off. But I tell you what I love wherever I go, and sometimes this can get me into trouble, is a massage. Because I think it's really interesting, kind of what they want to do to your body to yes. make you feel better. But it can be painful. I was in Kerala in India. Yes. And me and my wife went for a couple's massage. Obviously, the rules are strict there. So you've got to be massaged by men if you're a man, a woman if you're a woman. And yeah. I was sort of wrapped up in this cloth semi-mummified and then held like a baby by one of the other guys while the third guy poured oil onto my head in an oil pouring massage ceremony it was literally just oil cascading over my head it was like I was being preserved or something yes what's the weirdest massage you've had I had a mango oil and mango sherbet massage a sherbet yeah was it fizzy it was fizzy so they sort of that feels like it could go particularly badly wrong I know certainly if you're a woman like do you remember those what was that sweet you used to have that I think got banned because it was full of chemicals and then there was a version you put on your tongue and it like felt your tongue was exploding yes anyway that was a bit what the mango sherbet massage right, felt so like you, I would want extreme caution where that was applied yes yes <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're obsessed with Greece I would say is your most yes. travel to place what is it about Greece that's so appealing I think it's probably because it's the first place I went when so I was brought up my mum and dad were actors and that sounds glamorous but and they were amazing wonderful beautiful people but they were out of work the whole time right. so we did not go on right. overseas Aristophanes <laughs> the Frogs is not very commercial is it no 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 that's right no so we didn't so we went to and had a lovely time we used to go to Kent to the Kent coast to a place called Hythe every holiday but so for me suddenly hitting the Mediterranean was this like extraordinary oh my lord this is amazing and beautiful and full of love and light and interest and Greece was the first place I went so I think it was partly that it's partly because you know you sort of just fall in love when you go abroad for the first time Mm -hmm. and and I love ancient Greek culture because again they're very if you compare them to the Romans everybody loves the Romans but they're pretty mean, the Romans. They're pretty ruthless. Mm. Whereas the Greeks, you know, oh, they experiment with vegetarianism and they think it's all about chatting and all about sort of enjoying life and they understand about love and their goddess Aphrodite is this amazing kind of goddess of lust and desire. So it's a very um, it's a very hedonistic place um, and it's somewhere that cares about body and soul. But if you go, you know, as you say, you say Greece and you think of the sort of typical little, you know, Santorini kind of mm. Greek whitewashed villages and there is that is still there but if you go to the Greek mainland it's like you're travelling 
back in time and these beautiful kind of woods that you can explore and you can stay in wonderful little kind of wooden houses and chestnut forests with wild pigs walking around outside and you know people playing bazooki and it's very traditional still I think so I and I just love this the Greek spirit again of hospitality is there a sort of like people who prefer Roman culture and are they your arch enemy yes <laughs> so he was there like, I really are. like the goddess Venus. Give her a proper name. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, the Greeks did it first, exactly. and the Romans were just copying one. They? they were copying everything, and then just making <laughs> it a bit nastier. They just were like extreme, nasty versions of the Greeks. It's like when series two has to ramp it up and have more twists and turns and horror. Yes. Romans were series two of Western culture. Absolutely. So I think, you know, the <laughs> Greeks write these beautiful plays about tragedies and the terrible things that can happen. And you write a play about it because you say, this is the worst thing that can happen. And then the Romans go, oh, I know. Let's turn this into a show. Yeah. So we actually have kinds of lions eating exactly. humans. Exactly. I love your play, but what if a spike went into the anus in it? Come on. I know. For God's sake, Romanus. Exactly. What's your, what's your favourite place? In, in Greece to go because uh, Greece is, really is a country that has everything. I yes. know a lot of my cousins will be listening to this going, please mention Falaraki, tell me it's got a historic site. Yes. <laughs> or what about Iron Apple 99 if you really want to go back? Yeah, that's true. Well, I won't take you to those places. How about Sparta? Do you, what, do you like the yes, idea of Sparta? I do. So Sparta's on the mainland, again, like very ancient city like Athens and the Spartans are really cool because they're this really mad ancient culture. Again, quite extreme. Women had a load of power in Sparta which is pretty unusual for ancient Greece. But if you travel there, it is beautiful. There's a, the river Eurotas winds through this kind of idyllic valley. It looks a bit like kind of Shangri-La. Um, there's loads of sites that you can see, uh, like where, whole fields of oranges. Can, and, can I yes. ask a moron question? Where, where is it exactly? Yes. So it's basically, if you look at the map of yeah. Greece and there's a thing that looks like a hand kind mm. of hand, uh, hand, handing down, hanging down mm. into the sea. And it's right in the sort of top centre of the palm. So that, so it's on the mainland so it's not on one of the little fingers so what would you do fly a, to Athens and drive or no, fly, fly to Kalamata and which is a lovely airport funny little sort of old fashioned little airport and then you can just drive through some of the mountain passes it doesn't take long so probably two hours or something or hour and a half I think to get to Sparta and you can just stay in beautiful places there is a coast you can go to, to old the port of Githion which is where naughty Helen of Troy who was actually Helen of Sparta yeah. so she was the queen of Sparta so it's when she went and ran off with Paris yeah. the Trojan prince and they made it is and even Homer writes about it and he said they were locked in love on Rocky Island it's all very like you know yeah. so you can go and visit that site as well if you want and the accommodation not spartan not spartan <laughs> not spartan. spartan and not spartan yes at the same time. not spartan and you've got as i just want to you know yeah it's not spartan those little, <laughs> those little um ports very sweet lovely beautiful old everything you sort of hope for in an old-fashioned greek town uh, what else have you got packed with you today betty so today i have got packed um a very small tube of toothpaste all oh, right because wherever you go in the world you should always have clean teeth and your breath shouldn't smell and sometimes you end up in places where your toothpaste has run out or there's been some disaster and you can't get to the shops and it's very good to be able to like smile with confidence and like you see there might be the old random invitation for, from an ambassador for me yes. and then I wouldn't need to have clean teeth and nice smelling breath you rather wouldn't than alienate skanky. Uzbekistan just because you had garlic breath exactly <laughs> or coffee breath this morning since yeah. you and I are drinking so much coffee so um, and but I pick up those little tubes of toothpaste all over the world and again I'd sometimes wonder what chemicals they've got in them sort of some of the mm. ones I've got from like remote China it's like really that really doesn't taste like anything so okay we come to another division in traveling here 
again, I'm unusual in that I'm perfectly happy in a tent, in a field with maybe like a sprinkle of water every few days. Toothbrush, essential. Mm-hmm. Are you quite good without your creature comforts then? Because a lot, you know, I'm married to a woman that, that isn't. Glamping is as far as I've been able to push her. Yes. Well, I have to say, I do like a very comfortable hotel who as well. Who doesn't? Yeah, but who doesn't? But isn't there a thrill to being just a thin piece of fabric between you and nature? Or nothing. Have you done just, that many times? I've done that in the stars, slept under the stars. I have uh, in lots of countries, Turkey, Oman. I've just been to Oman and we went out and stayed with the Bedouin family there. I have to tell you that, that when I was in Oman, have you ever tasted camel milk? I haven't, no. I've had camel meat, but not milk. Okay. So you get given camel milk chocolates a lot when you travel. Camel to... milk chocolates? Yes. Now, and why they're... have Cadbury not launched that? <laughs> I think we're about to find out, aren't we? I think we are. <laughs> Possibly the most disgusting thing I've ever really? tasted. Oh, it's just rank. I'm really sorry for people who love camel milk chocolates, but I don't like them. However, if you stay with the Bedouin in Oman and wake up and milk their camels in the morning, or actually I'm making that up because they milk them at sunset, and drink the fresh camel milk. It's the most delicious thing you'll have ever tasted in your life. You'll get addicted to it. It's delicious. It's like sort of creamy, frothy, light sort of yogurt souffle. That sounds disgusting, but it's really delicious. Oh my god! I never knew you could milk a, a camel. So yes. Why were you sleeping in the open air then? Because I, 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 my only contact with anything like that was a. It with some um, traditional villages in a desert in Morocco. Yes. Um, but we were undercover. Yes. Not much. No. Is that well, traditional to sleep in the open air then? Well, but- well they've got open tents because it's really, you know, it's really hot in some of those places. So, and there's a kind of women's quarters and a men's quarters. And, you with, know, no, with no ceiling. With no. <laughs> <laughs> stay, in the, stay in your private area. It's the desert. <laughs> Jeff, there are no quarters. <laughs> but actually, people do. You can go. I, we were driving past. People do have these bright, interesting sort of Bedouin tent settlements that you can go to in Oman. That's another place. Get to Oman. Have you been there? No, but I've been stalking Musket because I'm a, f- a fan of the of the UAE, where I often I go for work. Yes, there. So when you actually go outside of Dubai and start looking at the desert and learning about the culture and the history, and that's what got me interested in Oman. A couple of friends of mine went there, and went, it's a bit of an undiscovered. It gem. is beautiful, and it's got mountains, and it's it's got a sort of microclimate. So there's bits that are really tropical and green, and uh, honestly, we, uh, that get there that you'd really love Oman. Somewhere else, I gigged recently. I have. It's one of the most magical gigs I've ever done in my entire life. And I come back trying to sell it to people. Now, people have got like a hangover from mums and dads in the 80s, but was Gibraltar. Yes. It was stunning. It was so strange and intriguing, the history of it. This little bit of rock hanging off the bottom of Spain that Britain owns. And then to think, you look at it on a map and think, well, there's going to be nothing there. How much is packed in on the side of that rock? I gigged inside a cave called St. Michael's Cave. Yes. With water dripping from the ceiling, blue lit from beneath. It's the most atmospheric, wonderful place I've ever sworn and been middle-browing in my entire life. (laughs) Yes. Listen, I agree. I've been into that cave as well and there's a bit did you go to the bit at the side you can kind of lower yourself down with a rope and it's where these sort of adventurers in the Napoleonic Wars would go and there's all this graffiti from the oh, 18th century oh you should, I, should, I agree what's 18th century is it still just a, a penis basically jetting through the air which is what graffiti seems to have been since cavemen <laughs> it's lots of <laughs> 
And I've seen a lot of that in my time as a historian <laughs> as well, I'll tell you. But yeah, no, it's just, it's literally was here. It's all these soldiers going, you know, oh, Lieutenant so and so was here. But, but yeah. Was you, here. <laughs> we have found the first ever I was here. <laughs> but Gibraltar, yeah. And they've got Neanderthals. We, we're doing this series called Treasures of the World. And one of the first places we went to was Gibraltar for exactly that reason, because people wow. have got a stereotypical idea of it. But, you know, there's a whole like Neanderthal cave, like amazing Neanderthal remains you know there as well and sort of yeah and the macaques and all that no I agree, I agree. big fan of Gibraltar yeah that's the other thing people don't realise is there's monkeys there yeah monkeys I was being heckled by monkeys because the dressing room it, you, to get through to the green room you're out on the little side street next to the cave there's just these monkeys staring yes. at me you don't think of encountering monkeys when you're in Europe no that's right but you can see Morocco can't you just so you stand yeah. at the top there so there it is just a few miles across the channel indeed and the other place which uh, gets a mixed press that I love and I've worked there is Malta mm. also rich in history I believe it's somewhere else you're yeah. interested in yeah that's right yeah that's right so yes and, and people think it's just sort of casino land but it was like you know it's right in the middle of Europe and Africa if you look at it in the sea so through time it's been a stopping off place for you know all these kind of crusader knights have their settlement there so you get these beautiful castles and again going way 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 back I'm as you can probably tell, sort of slightly obsessed with prehistory and like very, yeah. very early stuff. And you've got these incredible underground temples there, which are, you know, predate, massively predate the pyramids, where people would go and have these strange rituals and they're like mirror temples to the temples above grounds and there were these sort of rites involving, you know, skulls. And you just think, wow. you know, we've been around... a a while, us humans. You know, mm. I know that we're very sort of late in the story of the world, but we've been really trying to sort of work out how to live together and what we feel about the earth for a long time. And it's very exciting to go to that kind of place. <clears throat> One of the best skull-based things I've ever seen. And it was shocking. When you see a human skull in a tourist attraction, it still sort of takes your breath yeah. away a bit. Cause was it something called a Beim house in Austria? Uh-huh. So these, in, in Austria, back in the day, um, they would run out of space and they would respectfully stack the bones, Jenga-like, in what's called a, a bime house, which is next to the cemetery. Of course, over the years, it's just a wall of neatly stacked and labelled skulls and bones, but not yes. in coffins. They're just stacked like a sort of a wine wall. <laughs> with it, like, but with a label of who it yeah, is. Yeah, you can see it was with the skull and the leg stacked underneath and then oh. the, gra- the grave reused. Yes. Crazy. That is crazy. Are you drawn to sort of the, the death ritual of place? Because it could be quite morbid, but I often find it's a way of making you think about your own life and living life yeah. to the full and seeing how people lived and died in the past. You sort of think, Christ, I really need to live. You do. <laughs> you do. You need to not just live life, but love the living of it. 100% definitely. And actually, I, I agree. It really made me think that I was in Egypt and I was actually under the pyramids because there's a channel where you can go right under the Great Pyramid. Oh my God. I mean, that is petrifying because it's one of those things that gets pitch black and just gets smaller and smaller oh and smaller and you're on your God. hands and knees and crawling through the sands. Wow. I know, it's t- terrifying. But actually that morning my dad had died and, I, and everybody said, are you okay to carry on? Are you all right? But it was, there was something almost beautiful about it that you're in this giant tomb because that's what the Great Pyramid was and thinking about how people have thought about the passing of life and, you know, what it's all about. And you think... So many people have been through this before, so it was oddly comforting to, mm. to be there. And you're right, it does make you it does make you live life and it also makes you appreciate the fact that people, whatever you think about the afterlife, people have wanted to imagine there is one. And so often they die sort of thinking 
not not just in Christianity, but thinking they were going on yeah. to a more interesting world. So it kind of gives you respect for them, I think. I mean, we had we said this. My daughter's very young, so we've had this question. And I think when you travel around the world, you see that. Without, I'm not trying to be morbid here. Because this is the problem we have in our culture. We see talking about death as morbid, whereas it's the one inevitable thing we're all going to pass through. Yeah. When I've gone around the world, the different way things are celebrated, I can think of Mexico or, yes. or the Egyptians all around the world. People seem to be less scared of the end of life because it's another, if you like, journey. Yes, Where yes. the passport's going to get checked by care on whoever. Yes. Do you think we were shut off too much from celebrating yeah. the end, end of life here? And then when you travelled around the world, do you think people have a more healthy attitude to old age and things De like that? Definitely, definitely. I mean, again, because I was in Egypt, in fact, I was in Albania when my mum died and it was really interesting being with, um, I mean, Albania is very mixed, but there were, I had uh, uh, Muslim members of the crew and I obviously did in Egypt. And they were like, just so much more chilled about it. They were sort of like, we're sorry if you're lost, but how beautiful that they've gone to another yeah. place. It was, it, I, I say, it was really calming. And whatever you feel about faith or spirit or soul and all that sort of stuff, we do now know that, that scientifically, if we die, every molecule of our body does become something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we do actually live on in Absolutely. some in some ways. So I think, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, you, you can't be you can't be scared of death because it's definitely going to happen and, and a travelling really makes you appreciate that. And even if you are a cold dead on the inside atheist like me, the way the way we I've done it with my daughter is she, we've got the film Coco where they have the Ofreda up every year mm. and the idea that you live on so long as you're remembered by people that love you. That's yes, my religion. Definitely. What, what are you like with your, so your with your, when your children were very young, yeah, um, was it kind of? I know you're three, but we're going to see this Etruscan pottery that's lo <laughs> located only a six mile hike. Stop crying for God's sake! This rusk was excavated from Cleopatra's tomb last. <laughs> or were you able to go? We're going Disney. No, you got it. <laughs> No, I was that terrible person. So I remember my daughter when she was five, it was the only row we've ever had, sort of saying, I don't want to go to Aristotle's birthplace. <laughs> I want to meet be... Mickey Mouse. Oh, God. <laughs> you need to go for the origin of all culture. Mickey Mouse's ancestor is this tiny stick drawing on the wall of this cave that will give you claustrophobic panic attacks. Exactly. I know, but to be fair to me as a mum, I was very good at, we met loads of animals. We were yep. very good on animals. And I know that's probably terrible advice and you're supposed to not... You're <laughs> <laughs> to not touch other animals when you go abroad, but it's but you know what a beautiful thing. So they've connected with tortoises and dogs and cats and mm. you know giraffe and all these you know all these things. Well, I'll let you off then. What's the third item that you've got with you? So I always wear a significant necklace of some kind. So oh. I've got some on uh, right now. So wherever I go, and I slightly panic if that doesn't happen. And it's always got to be something that's sort of connected to back home and to the place I'm going. So, um, uh, so at the moment, I've got. Um, I like that. So you don't just. So I'm. Well, got a necklace on as well listeners yes. and it just happens to be one that means something to me but it's not connected it's not specific to today's journey i yes. love the idea yes. that i would have something re reminiscent of london euston hanging around my neck <laughs> yeah, exactly. ready for the and trust me that is a journey yeah that i'd rather is... be swimming to tirana than trying to get from london to manchester what would you have <laughs> little an old crisp packet or i think old... it would just be an egg timer where the sand never run out due to the interminable delay yes why, why have you got a bee why have you got a bee that's because uh, i'm married to a lady from uh, manchester Yes, and it's uh, that the bee is the symbol of Manchester, the symbol of solidarity after the, the attack they went through. Yes, and it's just a beautiful little jeweller's called near Bermondsey. Yes, called Alex Munro. They cast these little bees out of silver, gold, gold plating, and I just I just really like it. How be well, you should get her. 
if if you go to Crete, so you know um, the ancient Greeks in Crete, the Minoans, who'd like from the Bronze Age, and the women there loved wearing bee jewelry. You honestly, she would love it. So they do like beautiful necklaces and beautiful earrings with bees. So like the priestesses, oh. high priestesses would would always wear those. So that is a present that you can. A Minoan bee does not feel inexpensive. I'm guessing I'd have to go for a modern replica. <laughs> yes, I somehow feel you might have to go. I think there is only one that still exists. I, I want a minnow and bee for my next Valentine's gift, Russell, or we're going to fall out. Um, so what are you wearing? Is that a St. So, Chris? That's not no, Christmas, no, it's but not that feels like the natural thing you would be wearing for yeah, obvious reasons. Well, yeah, for obvious reasons. So so it's, um, so it's these are the like the muses, so the kind of goddesses of inspiration of kind of music, and that's because I'm travelling doing this series called The the treasures of the world and we're basically trying to find the positive stuff there is just so much bad news out there the Mm. whole time so we're traveling all around the world and going like when did it work when did people actually have good ideas and work together and celebrate things and that it's that sounds sort of schmaltzy but actually it's Mm. a really beautiful thing to do so then i've got a question for you as as a historian i'm genuinely fascinated by the answer so whenever i'm having a debate or a discussion in shows that I present, we always end up, so social media is evil, it's a clickbait that trades on negative news, negative news spreads fast. Undoubtedly true. But I'm always slightly sceptical about humans thinking they're the first people to do things this way of anything. And the best person to ask about that is a historian. So my question to you is this. Back in the day when all we had was papyrus and cave paintings or whatever, wasn't it still the case that bad news travelled a lot faster and juicier than good news? Yes. <laughs> Thought Correct. so. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And I can even you know, like, give you an amazing Socrates. So Socrates, the philosopher. So when he was writing around the 5th century BCE, so 2,500 years ago, in Athens, like Athens was his city, and it's the first time that writing really starts as a sort of thing of way of communicating. And he goes, whoa. First text message. Yeah, literally. He goes, <laughs> Lol. No, he does. He goes, uh, 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 this is a really bad idea. And he has this beautiful thing because he's says rather than like when you speak like now sitting opposite one another we're probably having to be quite honest with each other mm. because we're locked in a small small glass room yeah, you yeah. know and i tried I, to get us an upgrade <laughs> did you? yeah i wanted us to get us some two premium but it was fully booked next, very popular destinations next time next time but so socrates said actually if you write something words become orphans because they don't have their wow, father to protect them isn't that, that beautiful? Is beautiful so they sort of go out in the world and they get misinterpreted and cause trouble and so he was on to us two wow. and a half thousand years ago that is like twitter cancel culture today once your orphaned words yeah. sort of come back to spite you isn't that As in a sort of edipal way they come back literally to f you up yeah, well <laughs> but he, that's what socrates went whoa hang on guys just keep talking that's almost a tour show my my words are my orphans yeah that's my next tour show Lovely. i'll give you a writing credit thank you what are the other necklaces you've yeah got? so i've got my actually my mum's wedding ring I thought that might be a wedding yeah ring. because she died when we were in albania and she loved the idea of albania as this sort of ancient beautiful city of illyria so and i'm going back there next month so i thought i'd wear that and take a bit of her with me with me there and there's, there's another ne- necklace yes. there what's that one so this so this one is actually a Vene- oh it's a replica of a venetian coin and i'm wearing that because the the venetians got everywhere because like basically if you were a sort of sh- um ship faring if that's the phrase nation you would end up in all kinds of places and uh the venetians travel all around and i've just been in india and I've been looking at these beautiful, beautiful Roman coins that were left by the Romans in India when they travelled there. And I didn't have a Roman coin, so I slightly kind of, you know, faked it and had a Venetian coin. So, so it's a uh, modern Italy rather than Asia. It's very <clears throat> difficult to find people who aren't fans of Venice, even to look at the pictures or people that have been there fall in love. But are you like me, a lover of winter 
Venice. I am a lover of winter Venice and also a lover of just be adventurous and just walk through that. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Just go and get go and get lost and don't mm. be obsessed weirdly with travelling by gondola, which is what everybody does. Because, you know, there's all these little tiny footpaths and bridges yeah. everywhere. And I would say kind of walk through the city. You can even stay outside the city and then just spend a day walking through it and definitely, definitely go at wintertime. One of my favourite books, I had to buy another one because it fell apart. I've been to Venice loads of times in the summer. And I've been in the winter. And yes, things are slightly more closed in the winter. But my God, it's like it's like you're haunting Venice. Yes. I mean, if you go real winter, like first week of Jan or something, you will have the place to yourself, more or less. Yes. And there's this book, but I think the uh, the author's name is Lynx, called Venice for Pleasure. Mm. And it's written in a really sort of old... Um, Donish style. Well, it's like you'll notice as you turn towards Dossadovo down the side street as a gorgon, and, the, and you do all these little walks and discoveries in there. Yeah. That's part of the joy of Venice. Beautiful. You don't just hang around San Marco Square, go out to Dossadovo, right out to the other districts, right out to the very extremities. Yes. And people, if you talk to the Venetians who live there, they say, just slow down. Because if you live in Venice, you just you can't rush around because mm. you it's quite difficult to get from A to B. You have to walk or you have to get on a boat. So just take in that, you know, don't make it a whistle-stop tour. Just try and spend a bit of time there. And my daughter, who's an easily bored seven-year-old, you forget how amazing it is for a child to suddenly realise there's no roads. Yes. And travel everywhere by boat, by Vaporetto. That's their, that's their boat bus service. We didn't actually need to do anything other yes. than look up half yeah. the time and half a day yeah. was gone. And also a pretty delicious pasta as well. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh my yeah God. I was gonna, if you don't come back half a stone ever, go back and try again. Yes. So have you been to any countries that just blow you away as a vegetarian? I'm guessing you're going to say India, because whenever I eat vegetarian food in India, you just don't notice. You If you have a sagaloo, yes. a spinach and potato curry in India, you won't be asking for any meat. The no. flavour's amazing. Oh, amazing. I've just been there for two weeks filming, and I'm going back in four days. And just the fact that you say, is it vegetarian? And they go... Of course. Yeah. You know, it's so relaxing. India is amazing. Turkey is amazing. Ah. You get delicious, delicious, because it's so fertile in lots of places yeah. in Turkey. So you get these amazing, like there are pistachio forests in Turkey and apricot forests. That sounds and like something out of uh, Hans Christian Hansen It or is. It is. So that is, I think Turkish food is really, really mm. underrated and mm. completely like sort of cherry blossom yeah, you flowers. Think of, you think of Turkish food, you think of meat and marinated yeah. lamb and chicken and stuff. I didn't realise that. Did such good veggie food. Massive, massive, amazing veggie food, as there is in Greece as well. So I'd say probably Turkey, Greece and India are, are the best places to be veggie. OK, we're going to do the quick fire questions. The rules are simple. You must answer one. I may allow you two words. Last minute trip or planned in advance? What do you prefer? Last minute trip. It's exciting, isn't it? Yes. Getting to the airport early or just on time? I'm afraid really annoyingly early. On my honeymoon, we got to our... Uh, we got we were travelling in the afternoon we got there at 4am because I was so worried about missing the plane. Yeah. I just think, you know, you can. there's I'm lots of you. other ways to be stressed. So you've got to knock out 60,000 words. I work much better when I'm abroad. I don't know why. Less distractions, I suppose. Where's your favourite city for work? Definitely Istanbul. Uh, not, I mean, it's partly because I sat in Istanbul pretty much for 10 years writing a book about Istanbul, so I know I can do it. We know it works. Yeah, we know it works, but it's also because of the water. It's so beautiful having water around you, the Bosphorus and the Sea of Marmara and the Golden Horn. That's very sort of calming. Uh, favourite museum? 
Well, it's, it's one of my favourites. So there's there's a museum called the Arasta Bazaar Museum in Istanbul. And it's quite cool because you go down and it's basically this beautiful, beautiful 6th century CE mosaics from this palace from this amazing woman called Theodora, who's a very, very cool woman who used to be a sex worker and then became the Empress of Byzantium. And they're her mosaics. And I think that's just like you buy a kaftan and you go and look at some ancient mosaics. Love it. Aisle seat or window seat? I mean, this really is a division here culturally. Yes, it is. You can't be agnostic about that. No, window seat. Really? Yes. Because because I learned, I window seat because I love like tucking up. I love reading. And then if a person next to you is annoying, you make it clear they're annoying and then they sort of edge themselves out towards the aisles so you have more space. I'm wondering if there's a gender division here because men with their tiny pea-sized pathetic bladders, particularly if it's a long flight, I've just got a fear of annoying, you know, people monitor, I don't want someone monitoring my wee rate. Yes, true, but we've got better bladders. Yeah. So that's good. I, I went to Johannesburg, which if you don't know, is a 12-hour flight. No time difference. Great if you want to go and see um, areas in South Africa like Cape Town. Uh, and the seasons are back to front, so warm in winter. Anyway, as we were about to take off, I was the window seat and there were two people next to me. The little old lady, it was a night flight, said, have you had your final visit to the bathroom because we're going to bed now and stretch their legs out? And ever since then, I had like a PTSD bladder panic attack about being trapped. Bladder, like, bladder shame. Like, How dare you? Final visit, and the her and the husband put their spindly, crushable legs out, which I, which I thought I was going to be tread on them. Can I just say, I have done that, and then you sort of clamber out over them, and then they wake up, and you're sort of straddling them. No, it's really, straddle. it's really the awkward. accidental straddle. We've all done it. That's how I met my wife. Um, your favourite travel companion. So can I have two? Yes. So it's uh, it definitely my family. So my husband and my two, my daughters, because I hardly ever see them because I'm travelling the whole time. So when I do see them, we love each other. But also my cameraman, who has been around the world with me. We worked together for 15 years. We sort of are basically like brother and sister and he saved my life a few times. So right. that's quite a good... I mean, literally? Literally. Oh, yeah, oh, you literally. Can't, you can't tease us with that. <laughs> I'm going to have to pause on the quick fire. <laughs> well, because we got stuck on a boat in a storm for seven hours and we really nearly died. And luckily, what? he can Where? going from Mykonos to Ikaria, and it was just as freak storm came up overnight, and we were sailing. And, and then did you hear a distant singing and was entranced by it and drawn to the rocks by any chance? Well, <laughs> no, but we were accompanied by dolphins who we think were checking we were okay the whole way. They travelled no with us. Unbelievable. Anyway, he took over the boat, and basically, that stopped us from drowning. So, bloody hell. I owe him one. God. Right. Again, division here. And, and we've learned now that this is actually genetic, by the way. So lay in or early start? Oh, early start. Early start. Why, what, what normally happens? Well, if you sequence your DNA on one of the many websites, you can work out whether you're carrying the gene where you feel like shit in the morning or not. Basically, whether you're still producing Draculin and all the nighttime and melatonin hormones. It appears... It's not quite half and half. There is a small segment of the population that are roughly in between, sort of not early birds, not not night owls. Mm. But roughly speaking, there are those of us who feel great staying up till 2am and sleeping till 10am. Me, thank goodness, given I'm a stand-up comedian by trade. And there are those that spring out of bed rather annoyingly, ready to go at 6am. <laughs> you know, like Snow White singing to the birds, ah, ah, landing <laughs> on the thing. And they think it's because you needed both types of people in the tribe back in the cave days in order to survive. It would have been a pretty dead tribe if everyone was asleep at 10am and a pretty dead tribe if everyone was asleep when it was late. So it's, And it also seems to be the case that more often than chance, we're drawn to people that are the opposite. 
Not always, but you'll very often get a, a an early bird woman with a night owl man. And they think it's to do with child rearing, that if you are someone that loves springing out of bed at 7am, you're better off with a bloke who's happy being at 2am, who can obviously, in the old days, watch the baby, but these days, use the express milk to feed the baby. You've got, you got the whole 24 hours covered. That is beyond fascinating. I had no idea. So that means we mustn't be cross with our partner no. when they're annoying. And and initially in the early to. stages, annoying. Yes. As you build your family, if you love getting to the airport early, you want to be with someone that can chill you out. Chill out. Let's enjoy it. Better. Let's not rush around a whole lot. You know, yes. you, you form that balance. Um, set an itinerary or go with the flow? I think I know the answer to this. Well, well, set an itinerary and then be very ready to rip it up. Because right, something like something better is likely to happen. So what have you got going on at the moment, Betsy? Anything you'd like to tell us about? Um, I've got a new season of my Channel 4 series, Treasures of the World. And that's me travelling around the world, talking about stuff like we have just been doing. And um, I've got a new book, which I've just delivered, which is The Seven Wonders of the World, which will be out next year. And they are the actual seven wonders. Seven not, ancient not, wonders. But I, well, I travel to them. So it's like, hell. I know, that was exciting. I'm guessing Ibiza's not in it. No, but <laughs> Iraq is. Yeah. Bethany Hughes, thank you very much for joining me here on Pack Your Bags. Pleasure. Lovely to chat. Thank you for listening to Pack Your Bags with Tui. That's all for this episode. If you want more, you can catch up on episode one now with Jason Foxy Fox from SAS Who Dares Wins. And make sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice. We'll be back next episode with gold medal winning Olympian Greg Rutherford, where he'll be sharing his top tips for travelling with family and also a bizarre passion for tuna in a tin. Pack Your Bags was brought to you by Tui and produced by Chalk and Blade.